Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com you're the mom the maid the keeper of the cookies you do it all and you look good doing it it's parenthood on a mother level here's your host denise hanitka Hey everybody, this is Denise Sanitka and I am your host for On a Mother Level. This is episode 82 and you guys, if you're sitting by a pool, if you're driving, if you're on your little summertime road trip, this is a nice, calm, easy listener. You guys loved episode 81, my conversation with Anjanette Levy on the Molly Tibbetts murder case that I've been covering the past couple of weeks. I know loved is a weird word um, to talk about that episode, but I think um, a lot of you found it intriguing and interesting, and I appreciate all of the downloads on that episode. So if you're back for another episode, welcome back to On a Mother Level. So glad to have you, and I hope that you will share this episode with a friend. A two-parter today... The first interview that you will hear is with Katya from Hey Mama. And Hey Mama is a cool network online. It's a community for working moms to join, become members, and to be able to network and mentor each other. And I've talked about them a little bit because they are doing this motherhood on the resume campaign, which is basically encouraging people to put the word mother on their LinkedIn resume, on your social media profiles. And it's meant to destigmatize the gaps that you might have in your res- in your resume related to being a mom. So maybe you took the last year off to help your kids during the pandemic. Maybe you decided to stay home with your kids for a while while they were little, and now you want to get back into your area of expertise. You don't need to apologize for that gap in your resume. You need to own it and explain why being a mom is actually making you more qualified for the position that you are wanting to be hired for. So it's a cool campaign, and I hope you will jump on board after listening to my interview with Katya. After that, um, Mary is back with me, and she is recapping. You heard her recap The Bachelor with me a little bit last season with Matt James, and she is now back to talk about the Friends reunion. The Friends reunion just came out a couple of weeks ago. It's on HBO Max, and if you're a fan of the show, it was an hour and 45 minutes of just a pure delight. It was 
so wonderful to see these characters back on the screen and talking about some of these memorable episodes that have been worn out on the old DVDs and played over and over again on TBS and Nick at Night. And no matter what, we can never get enough. If you're a Friends fan, you get it. You get it. And um, I hope you enjoyed the reunion as much as I did. So we've got some hot takes about some stuff that we liked parts that we really didn't like. And we have a little advice for the characters the next time that they're asked important questions like, where would your characters be today? Okay, that's important stuff. So we kind of uh, have a working theory on where we think that Ross, Rachel, Monica, Chandler, Phoebe, and Joey would be today. I tell you what, Joey, what a delight, the whole interview. He's like a uh, reunion. He's like the uncle that everybody has that you're just delighted to see. He looks a little older. He's just he's just a joy. You know, it, it was so fun to watch. So that will be in part two of this episode. So I hope you enjoy it. This is episode 82. And off we go with Katya from Hey Mama. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much. First of all, if you don't mind, just tell me a little bit about you and your family. Oh, I'd love to. Um, I have a nine-year-old daughter. Um, She's going to be 10 actually in just a couple of weeks, um, heading into double digit land for a long time. Uh, We're best friends. I'm a single mom at the moment. Like I have a great, you know, co-parent, but it's just her and I, and we are just total Gilmore girls. Like best friends do everything together. We snuggle every night. We go to brunch. We do Pilates. It's really funny. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's really such a special time and kind of uh, relationship that we have. And um, I actually had her fairly young. I was 26. So I feel like we are just incredibly um, similar in so many ways. And it's been such a treat to, to get, yeah, to just be this, this age is really quite something. I love it a lot. And so we live in Westchester and uh, my family's all from New York. I was born in Russia and I immigrated here when I was three and we all live kind of in the tri-state area. So um, it's wonderful to have family nearby. We're kind of like a small, a small crop um, that came over here. So probably why I built community. I just like love a big, all happy family and yeah, having grown up in the city, I grew up in Brooklyn and in Queens and went to massive high schools and colleges. Um, I just love that kind of small, intimate sense of community. And it's funny enough, I moved to a, a small town. It has like 6,000 people um, and I, I couldn't be happier. So that's a little bit about me and my fam. Well, congratulations on this mom community that you've built, you know, and I, I say it all the time about the podcast too, that what we're doing now as this generation of moms is going to benefit young women like your daughter one day. And I think that's such a powerful thing. Absolutely. We're really, um, this generation of moms is so different than any other generation in the past. And you know, no, no two moms are the same. We're all such different people, um, kind of creating our own um, career trajectories and reinventing and pivoting and redefining ourselves. But um, I think the overall energy and hope and possibility and success of what this generation of moms has achieved is far outside of anything in any previous previous time. Um, and it's just so cool to see our kids see that. My daughter had a homework assignment the other week and it said, describe your mom. And she said, my mom is strong and powerful. And she is the CEO of Hey Mama. And so 
you, you, we all get that kind of mom guilt sometimes of like, oh, am I working too much? You know, and to see that she describes her mom as powerful, what a great time to live in where so many girls and boys can say, my mom is powerful and power is not a bad word. You know, it's, it's a great word for women to hold. And it's been far too long um, that women haven't had it. Well, often power in women is used as a negative. She must be too ambitious. She must be trying to eat everyone alive, you know? So, and that's what this campaign is about, is about taking back a woman's power in the workplace. And so let's get to motherhood on a resume. Did that come out of the pandemic or was that always kind of something in the works? Where did it begin? Yeah, actually it didn't come out of the pandemic. It was a concept that um, I had two years ago and I had actually gone to Portugal to, to speak at a conference there. And I created a a presentation called the motherhood advantage from diapers to deals. And it was really talking about how I got a lot of my confidence and strength from motherhood. And that if we use our disadvantages as advantages, they could really serve us well. And how there were so many advantages from being a mother that we could translate into the workforce. And it, it just kind of started this idea of like, well, why wouldn't motherhood be on the resume? You know, if PowerPoint is, and why wouldn't motherhood, this thing that kind of transforms us in every way. Um, And so we had the concept, but for one reason or another, we, I think it was mostly bandwidth. We knew we wanted it to be a big campaign. And at that time of our business, we just couldn't execute it in the way that we wanted it to want it to fast, fast forward COVID happened and coming kind of now we're hopefully coming out of that. It, it is such a blessing in disguise that we did it now because I think the whole concept of um, this unpaid labor that we're doing at home was just front and center for everyone, you know, for every employer, for everyone to see how much work is going into raising these kids. And you're working at home, you're mothering at home, some of that you're getting paid for, some of that you're not getting paid for, but it's all work nonetheless. So how do you give women these actionable skills and, and transferable skills and, and give them tools to make that work for them as they're either trying to re-enter or even just kind of reclaim their role as mother in the workforce. Well, the thing that I think stands out to me is the concept of not apologizing for a gap, not apologizing for spending the last year. Perhaps you had to leave your job and stay home with your kids, your daycare shut down, what have you. If you want to get back into the workplace, you don't need to apologize for having done that, right? Absolutely. We're always saying we're sorry far too much. <laughs> and I think we we feel, um, you know, this sense of uh, worry or concern about how these gaps are going to look. And is someone going to think that I, you know, just didn't feel like working or I'm not dedicated or loyal or focused enough. And Um, I think the benefits of being a mother and those skills um, can so far outweigh any of those needs that we have for for flexibility or some of these kind of old school narratives that potential employers might, you know, tell themselves, Um, you know, this campaign was really about um, destigmatizing those gaps. um, And I think really valuing that unpaid labor and helping women, helping women feel a little bit more confident and proud, which is half the battle. When you look at all the numbers of the, how many women left the workplace in the last year, I don't know if this is weird to say, but it feels almost like Handmaid's Tale-esque. It feels scary. And I feel hopeful though, coming out of it because of campaigns like this. 
Absolutely. It is petrifying to know that you can take back, you know, decades of progress in a year. It's like, who would have thought that that was even something that was possible. Right. But I think, you know, part of the challenge is that we equate, you know, time with money, but time is worth so much more than money. And so there's always this battle of like, oh, well, you know, your salary is kind of what the, our childcare would be. So it makes sense that you would take a step back. It, obviously with COVID, there was lots of other considerations. Like moms were just at their breaking point. Like someone had to be there. Something had to happen. Like no childcare equals no moms at work, right? Cause someone has to watch your kids for you to, for you to get these things done. And as we're coming out of it, I think there's a lot of hope both in legislation and more universal paid leave and more childcare and investing in these infrastructures to hopefully for the next time, you know, if there's, there's something like this, there, there's more mechanisms in place. I think the country was just so incredibly unprepared. And I think what's also interesting is that so many, it's not interesting, but it's kind of like, wow, why was it that only the woman decided to be the ones that took a step back? Because a lot of men ended up gaining jobs. And I think it still boils down to the fact that it is expected in the society that the shouldering of motherhood or the shouldering of parenting uh, goes on the mom. And I don't necessarily know if that's going to change, but I do think that we can't penalize these women for literally taking care of the next generation. Like we, we just have to stop hate, hating mothers in this country in such a way that um, they, they just can't win. And uh, that's why I hope this campaign has had an impact on the women, a part of it and can have an impact for those stepping back into the workforce. Have you been able to gauge how successful it's been so far? I know it was kind of like a three month campaign starting in May and ending on August 26th. Any idea to, to gauge where you're at in that right now? Yeah, so far so good. Uh, it's really, I think, surpassed our expectations already, just in terms of authentic engagement and debate. You know, there were several um, LinkedIn editors that had reshared the article I wrote for NBCNews.com, and you know, one of them had 500 comments, one of them had 300 comments, and it was like, this is the best idea, and I was like, this is the worst idea, and a lot of different explanations of why, and that's a really healthy place to sit, right? Because you don't, we want to actually stir up a, a real conversation of why is it that um, some people are so opposed to this? And why are some people so for this? And what, what does that say about um, where we are in some of the unconscious bias? But um, we've had, you know, hundreds of women adding mother to their resume. And just, I think it's been a real connection point for, for women that maybe have never heard of Hey Mama or know what we do or what we stand for to, you know, get introduced to the brand in this way. What are some of the reasons that people say they're not supporting it? I feel like I could guess, but what's the, what's the most common thing that you kept seeing? Oh, there were several threads. There were some uh, people that had said, this will hurt you in your interview process. You know, this um, other people said it's not relevant. You know, being a mother doesn't inherently make you better at something, um, you know, personal lives should stay out of it, you know, um, a whole range of different reasons. Um, and I think then there were many women who this just made a lot of sense for. They said, wow, this this makes sense. We, I've been doing this for 10 years and I've learned so much from it. This is something that should live on this document that explains what I can bring to the table at work. And it's the same way that we think football is a training ground for leadership, right? So why wouldn't motherhood be? Why would we say, people always ask on interviews, oh, did you play any college sports? And why do they do that? They want to see if you're competitive, 
disciplined and able to win. All of those things are present in motherhood. Uh, so I think it's just about a reframing of some of these inherent skills that we have to have. And especially if you think about moms with any sort of special needs situation or any sort of medical, even parental care now that we're doing, these things require like massive research and time commitments and organization and project management and follow through and scenario planning and you know, very, very similar to what someone might need in a variety of positions at work. Your football analogy is such a light bulb moment for me. It's like if men can spend the rest of their adult lives talking about talking their about football, football yeah. career, I think we can talk about something life-changing that has happened to us. Exactly. And I think, you know, dads also can talk about how this has impacted totally. them. I think that, that there's a, there's an angle there as well. That's why people always suggest that men take more parental leave because it, it starts to shift the perception that parenting is a, as a mother's game. Okay. So someone hears this, wants to take action. Where do they start? They should go to our website. It's heymama.co. They can check out the motherhood on the resume campaign page. It has all the information. They can add mother to their title on LinkedIn, and they could add our badge to their social channels, like sharing that they've added it. Um, and they could get more involved in the community, right? We have a you know thriving national membership now with members across every state, except North Dakota, if you are listening from North Dakota. And it's an amazing community to, I think, recreate those circles of power, right? 80% of your opportunities come from your network. So if you want to get back into the workforce, if you want to build your business, pivot careers, look at getting a salary increase, you need to surround yourself with other women that can hold you accountable and help you grow and learn. And that's exactly what we're here to do. Last question. Imagine, if you will, 20 years from now, when your daughter's a mom and she's maybe she chooses to be a working mom, what does that workplace look like for her in the most ideal scenario? What are we working towards? Yeah, I think what we're working towards is acknowledgement from employers I think around the realities of what being a successful working parent looks like from, you know, the process of when you're thinking of conceiving and how an employer supports you through that journey, because that's an incredibly challenging journey as well, um, that some employers support, some employers don't, leading all the way through to that whole time when you're there, right? Like motherhood doesn't stop once you have a child. I see employers really investing a lot in giving their parents resources that help move the needle for them, that gives them a supportable childcare built-in scenario. I see them, you know, really investing in a lot of training and education to kind of prevent any sort of biases that might've been present in, in previous generations. I see more moms as CEOs and running organizations, more, less people named John um, in the fortune 500 and more. If we could just have moms replace the Johns, I think <laughs> that, that is the best way to summarize it. No one's really going through this alone. I think so many women are experiencing their own hurdles in their career or kind of um, they're thinking about what they're going to do next, especially now as this, you know, the job market's opening back up, you know, COVID starting to go away. And, and it's a really great time to to lean in and ask for help. I'm a huge fan of asking for help and putting out there what you want to do. So if you haven't been working and you're looking to get back in it, or if you are, and you want to do something else, um, you know, this village that we've been building online and offline, um, it really supports women in getting comfortable with being vulnerable and asking for what they need. And that's totally okay. And 
I think really healthy and rewarding. You bet. We are bad at it though. We are bad at asking. Yeah. We're like, I got this. <laughs> it's like, do you, <laughs> you do, but let's, let's, uh, let's get you mama some more support. Right. Because when we're, when we feel successful our whole lives, there's so many different sides of uh, parts of our lives that contribute to us feeling successful and happy and fulfilled. And it's like, if our personal life's not going well, it affects our work. If our work's not, life's not going well, it affects other things, you know, so kind of getting to that place of, you know, feeling really confident in your career is so rewarding for, I think, any person It for a sense of identity and accomplishment and pride and providing for your family and contributing to, you know, all the things you want to do. That's a great feeling, right? Moms deserve to make tons of money. Let's stop apologizing for it and help them go out there and do it. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you so much, Denise. This was really Have a great fun. rest of your day. Thank you. My thanks to Katya for spending a few minutes with me this morning. That makes me want to have a daughter. The way she talks about um, spending so much time with her nine-year-old and having like a Gilmore Girls existence. Like, ugh, that sounds so sweet. So thank you to her. All right, let's get to Mary. And we are going to talk about the Friends reunion. It's up right now on HBO Max. It is a must watch for any super fan. But you guys, you got to bring the tissues because I cried basically through the entire reunion. And it's because I loved it. So here is Mary and our thoughts on the Friends reunion. All right, Mary, thank you for coming back. You're welcome. You're so welcome. Um, This is going to be really fun because Friends was such an important show to me back in the day. Do you remember watching from the beginning or what do you really remember about the early days of the show? I remember like my older siblings watching it, you know, and and watching along. I also, um, I mean, I was, so it started in what, 94, right? I would have been 11. So, I mean, obviously I wasn't watching it every Thursday night at 11 years old, but I remember in high school, it being like, I need to get home and watch friends. And then it ended, I guess, when I would have been in college. Um, I can remember like needing to be in my room watching it that night, but like over the years after that, like I had all the DVDs and we, I, you know, I watched them all the time and then they were on Nick at night and you'd watch, you know, you'd go to sleep to it every night. So, I mean, I totally grew up with the show. I look back and laugh about how there were totally jokes that I did not get as like a teenager that as an adult, I do now and think back like, oh, I know I didn't get that kind of fun. I look forward to being able to watch it with my kids someday too. Like the someday when they're old enough to show them my favorite show. I have a very distinct memory of sitting in my family's basement mm-hmm. on the couch and we, the entire family watched when Ross said Rachel's name at the wedding in oh. London. And that was really a different time where you sat there, you watched the finale and you knew it would be six months or, you know, mm-hmm. a year before you'd get to see how that would play out. And, yeah. and I remember we were like, oh, he said Rachel's name. And, and mm-hmm. I just have that very distinct memory of that being like a family gathering that we watched. <laughs> at. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. And you're right, because the DVDs, that was also a big deal. You know, we never had a show that we could Mm -hmm. sit and watch on demand like that. That was the first like on demand Mm -hmm. part of our generation. 
I've watched every episode probably too many times to count. I can quote lines. I, you know, like the thing and to go into the reunion, the thing that drove me crazy is that I thought I love the reunion, but I could not believe that they, a lot of them don't remember things from the show. Yes. You know, like the simple, and I may have going too far on you, but the simple, no, like you're fine. talking about throwing the ball, um, the episode where the guys are throwing the ball the whole time. And who was it? Uh, was it David Schwimmer? I think had zero recollection of this. Yes. And I'm like, how do you not remember this? But I have to step back and remember, like they did 200 plus, well, the 200 plus episodes and they, um, they probably didn't, don't watch their show hundreds of times like we do, but it just, right. it blew my mind the things they don't remember. Yeah, no, I completely agree. That definitely stood out to me. So were you a fan of the reunion format or were you somebody who was expecting them to like reprise their characters and do an episode of some kind? I never thought it was going to be an episode. Me neither. I was, I think maybe I had read enough about it and knew it wouldn't be. I, and I'm personally a hundred percent glad that it, they didn't try to do an episode. I can't, I kind of like what Lisa Kudrow, I think said towards the end of, I can't imagine them actually trying to pick up those characters lives and and rewrite it like they ended that show in my opinion perfectly I don't need to see where they all are I don't need because in my head I might have my own opinions formed and I don't want that ruined right it was perfect I love just seeing all six of them back together again um and like reminiscing I cried a lot watching it and partly because of my own nostalgia but also Mm -hmm. because it's hard not to cry when they're all sobbing through the Mm -hmm. entire or whatever it was watching them all walk in I got the chills watching them get the chills and watching them tear up I was tearing up and my husband had to get up within like five minutes of starting it and go grab the box of tissues because I was just a mess and they they re-showed that finale um the the very end of the show when they all the keys are walking out and saying you know what now and like I was crying I I mean I still can cry to some of those final scenes if I watch it and again I've watched probably that episode for 50 times if not more so oh yes oh yes I thought just the idea of individually having them walk onto the set was so genius Mm -hmm. and to start it off with David Schwimmer was perfect like it just he just I was watching his every move and just watching his body language and I thought it was just be a beautiful way to slowly get them back into that world I agree I loved Jennifer Aniston's emotion you know from the second she walked in really a lot of them all of them really um but her emotion really is what got me Did you notice, I felt like, I don't know if it was them being back on the set or what it was, but so much of how they reacted to the nostalgia of it all was very much like their characters. David Schwimmer responded in a way that Ross would have responded. Mm -hmm. Ross is a little more of an emotional guy. Mm -hmm. You know, then you have, um, you know, Chandler was a little more stoic about the whole thing, but you (laughs) knew he was churning up in his head. Joey just had you know, laughs for days about the things that he remembered. I I was like, that's so interesting. Um, you know, the dynamic and the divide between person and character. You're right. Cause you know, Matthew Perry um, didn't have a lot to say throughout, but when he did, you could see it pro- him processing a couple times and then he'd talk and it was, he was really funny and it was, it was bringing back Chandler. And I thought it was interesting. There was one part where he talked about, 
if he didn't get a laugh, it really bothered him that he took that very hard. And so it's almost as Matthew Perry. And so it's like, it's very interesting. He's, I think he's still very much that, that person and that, and, you know, and, and in, sen- in a sense, Chandler. What did you think about the speculation about his health? Um, yeah, I feel bad for him. I mean, I, 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 you know, I have a soft uh, spot, you know, place in my heart for all of them, but I mean, especially him. Right. So, I just have always thought he's hilarious, especially as I've, as I've watched, I've always been a Jen, Jennifer Aniston, Rachel girl, but growing, you know, as I've gone through my twenties and into my thirties, I, I feel like, you know, I have a different appreciation for each character as I get older. And I just, I really enjoy Chandler. I think he's hilarious. I was sad with all of the negative feedback about him. Right. I, I just, I feel bad for him, but I hope he's doing okay. And I think he was doing okay. And I just don't want, I just don't want the world to be so cruel to him, I guess. Right. I was wondering if I would have noticed there's something being off about him. Had I not read there's something off about him. Well, I don't, did you watch the, like the trailer at all? Watch the trailer. And I think I thought it before, um, before all like, cause you know, that came out, I watched it and then all the media came out saying like, Oh, he looks terrible in all these trailers. And I, I think I had thought that like, Oh, he did. He aged the worst basically. You know, I, we don't also don't know what uh, Matthew Perry is really like as a person. We only know him as Chandler, right? So what's to say he's not just a quiet person that doesn't have a lot to say usually until it's something funny. And I don't know. I, I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt that, that all is good and let's just not be cruel. (laughs) Good point. Yeah. So a lot of the recap was set around the playing of the game, you know, and that allowed them to, to, you know, introduce different things. Genius. (laughs) Who doesn't love that episode, right? (laughs) And I thought they chose interesting nuggets to pull out because my biggest fear about the reunion was that it was going to feel like the DVD extras. But I think by pulling out like the hand twin, and mm-hmm. the barbershop quartet, it was pulling from some maybe like forgotten moments or like mm-hmm. the less, you know, cult moments, I guess. No, I thought it was really enjoyable also to watch like the behind the scenes, you know, they may have shown the old clips, but then like they would show a little bit more to it that isn't in the bloopers because it's not necessarily a blooper. It's just kind of showing you how like they reacted when uh, when a scene was cut. I mean, I think the best example of that is the very end when the the Ross and Rachel scene. Did she get off the plane? Did she get off the plane? I got off the plane. It's my, my absolute favorite part of the entire 10 seasons. And then I quote it every time and cry every time. But she <laughs> but they show the scene where they're hugging and then they say cut and they show the two of them hu- continuing to hug and hold each other and very emotional. And that's stuff we didn't get to see in the last however many years it's been now. Um, so I thought that kind of stuff was fun. That's not in your DVD packages and whatever else. Okay. So let's talk about that. Cause I'll be honest with you. 2004. So I would have been a sophomore in college. So when, when Rachel got off the plane to mm-hmm. go and be with Ross, I was a hundred percent against that at the time. Oh, really? Well, and it's Modern what you said. <laughs> What you said earlier was like, as you age, you have like this different appreciation for the characters. And at Mm -hmm. that moment, I was a sophomore in college and I was never getting married. I was not Mm -hmm. gonna let a man define my life or my career. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I was going to go to Paris if I had an opportunity to go to Paris. And so my my mind frame was there. And so I was like, who would, you know? And so now I watch it with completely different eyes and I'm glad she got off the plane. 
You know what I mean? And I yeah. like, okay. I like that evolution. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I like that too. Obviously, the biggest bombshell of the reunion was acknowledgement between Ross and Rachel that they mm-hmm. had a real life crush that never went anywhere. For sure. What was your reaction to that? I, I mean, shock. And also like, wow, like I rewatching it. I think that that scene, their first kiss scene, I truly was as good as it was because of finding out that information. I don't think it would have been. Yeah, and I think they had the chemistry that Ross and Rachel had throughout has a lot to do with that. So in some, I'm very glad in some ways that they never, ever dated. I kind of on board with them doing that now if they're both single, but, um, but I thought that was very interesting information. And I cracked up when Matt LeBlanc, you know, called them out trying to say, no, really, they had gotten together during it. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I enjoyed that. It was sort of an open secret on the set. Yeah. So yeah. fascinating that it's taken so long for that to come out. For it to come out. Yeah. Now to that end, I did a little research because I'm like, all right. So he says they never really, you know, acted on their feelings because they were always dating someone. So I'm like, wait, let me really go back on this. Okay. So I figured out, so the show comes out in 1994. Jennifer Aniston doesn't start dating Brad Pitt until 1998. Okay. Okay. So it's not Brad Pitt that she was dating. That's when I discover she did in real life date Joshua Tate Donovan Oh, yeah. yeah. So I, that was pretty short-lived, but regardless, so that was going on at some point during the show, which mm-hmm. is like sort of like a Paolo situation where like mm-hmm. he's like crushing on her and she's like, oh, like I'm going to date this guest star, Joshua. Right, right. <laughs> so did she date him when he was on the show then? Yeah. That what yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. awesome. And, okay, I don't know what the sourcing on this, but I'm going with it because it's fun. Mm-hmm. She apparently also briefly dated Paul Rudd. In 1998, before dating Brad Pitt. Really? Which is interesting because Paul Rudd would be Phoebe's husband later in the show. Yeah. It's almost, it must not have been too awkward. Yeah. So then the other, I guess, um, intercast dating situation was Chandler and Julia Roberts dating after her like little cameo. Oh, I didn't never know that either. Didn't know that? No. Yeah. And I was a huge Julia Roberts fan back in the day. But you know, it's like, you know, the internet and stuff when we were, when we were teenagers wasn't really, you know, the the gossip wasn't out there as easily as it is, you know, today. No. So I probably was just not in the loop on that kind of stuff. Your thoughts on the final settling of the, were they on a break conversation? Well, I think the answer is yes, they were on a break. Caveat is, is it okay? No. (laughs) Is what he did okay? Absolutely not. Correct. They were on a break. So really the punchline should have been, but was it okay? No. Yes. (laughs) Correct. Correct. But yeah, even even Jennifer Aniston admitted, yes, they were on a break. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I pulled some other little stats for you. Yeah. Apparently, did you know they made two and a half million dollars each for the reunion. And I also looked back on their like salaries during the show. It was in season three that they started like negotiating together. So they all made the right. same amount of money. Mm-hmm. So that's season three. They started out with 75,000 an episode. By season nine, they were up to a million per episode. Mm-hmm. And they still make $20 million a year in syndication. Well, no wonder none of them really do anything anymore, right? They don't need to. Can you even imagine that check? No, I can't. Can't even fathom it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. 
let's go to my absolute hands down favorite episode. And I'm so I'm, I'm glad they talked about it so much was the one where no one's ready. Oh yeah. That's my hands down favorite one. I adore it. I always knew that it was like in real time, you know, that it was really like 22 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I didn't know about that episode was that that's how Joey's shoulder got hurt. I didn't either. So interesting. It is because I definitely remember him having the sling then for the next several, I think, episodes. But I never knew until watching the reunion that he heard it in that. I thought it was really interesting, too, how they were like, of course, you know, we tried to have this low budget production episode that could be done fairly quickly. And then he goes and gets injured and they can't do anything else because they all six have to be there in that room together. Right. What did you think about the idea of, of having them reread some of those scenes together? So at first I thought it was a little cheesy, but I really kind of enjoyed it. Um, It was fun to watch them get back truly into character. Uh, The thing I thought was really interesting was the last one. I think it was the last one they did where the scene about the plane, getting off the plane. I felt like, um, or maybe it wasn't that one. Well, the, there was one of them with Jen, Jennifer Aniston, and uh, I think it was the first kiss scene, actually, where she was, she seemed to practically have them memorized still. Like, I, there there was one point where she was not looking down at the script. She was just reading her lines, or saying her lines, right. um, which I thought was impressive, because I'm going to guess it's not like they studied those ahead of time. Um, I, so it was, it was fun, kind of, to see them get back in their old character and say the things exactly the way they said it, however many years ago. I also liked that they spent time on how if you would have read the pages on the script, the words really didn't mean anything. They didn't sound very funny. And I think the example they used was the pivot episode where it's, Mm -hmm. you know, three people moving couch upstairs and the lines themselves are unremarkable. Mm -hmm. But when you put those people in those positions and Ross screaming suddenly like you have this magic that's taking place. Yeah. And everyone knows that scene, right? I mean, it's, I like that episode where the guys are in the chair the whole time. Right. And they, they reference that and how, uh, Matt LeBlanc said to Matthew Perry that you remember when you saw this and you're like, this is dumb. Um, (laughs) And then they realized they could have fun with it. I thought that was really interesting to think that like they read the script and thought there was no humor in it, that it wasn't going to be good. And, you know, not only was it good, but they were able to make it probably that much better. You know, the other recreation that I really liked, there was the peeing, the, the peeing on the, in the ocean. That mm-hmm. which I, I do love that fantastic. scene. Um, and then the other recreation that just flew right out of my head. What else did they recreate? Think of what other ones they did. Oh, um, the one where they find out when when um, they're oh. trying to prevent Ross from the sleeping. one where everyone finds out. Yes, yes. But and they recreated the part where they're like jumping in the apartment. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and I just I love I love that. And um, I thought that was such a perfect one to recreate too. Yes, it was. I loved listening. I mean, to all of them, but like Lisa Kudrow doing the, my eyes, my eyes, like it all just is, I mean, just perfect. They sounded exactly the same. This is where I'm going to, I'm going to throw a little bit of criticism around. Do it. I thought it was a little strange that no one was really prepared to answer the, where would your characters be today? Question. Yeah. What was your reaction to that? That they just haven't really thought about it, I guess, which is strange, but they, that's strange because you and I are super fans, clearly, right? Like, that's an obvious question you're going to be asked. 
I thought that like your favorite like, episode. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you come prepared with that answer? You're right. And I know I, there was one point when they asked a question and it might be about favorite episode that I was actually surprised that someone had an answer, right. That they like, you know, like, Oh, they must've prepped them for that. But you're right. If they did that, then they would have prepped them for that. Where would your character have been when the season, when the series ended, the series ended and I didn't really think too much more about it. Yeah. Because to me, the one the one answer that stood out was when Ross, where when Rachel sort of looked, Rachel, Jennifer Aniston looked at David Schwimmer and was sort of like, I don't know, like maybe we would have had a couple kids. And I thought you had one. Her name was Emma. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Right. I thought the same thing. Um, I was like, you mean a couple more? Because you have two technically, you know, not together, but they were there's two kids that would have been in that family already. There you go. Yeah. Ben, like Ben wasn't, was kind of never mentioned. Emma was never mentioned. Um, yeah. I can understand why the, the babies of Monica and Chandler wouldn't have been mentioned because they were literally the last episode, but right. Ben was in several episodes. Emma was, was a huge storyline. Yeah. Even, even Phoebe's like nieces and nephews were sort of oh, yeah. like that never really happened either, which, you know, <laughs> Okay, so I read some article, I think it was in The Hollywood Reporter, where Marta Kaufman, one of the creators, gave a better answer to where she thinks the characters are. Okay. And I thought this was decent, okay? So she says, she says, Ross and Rachel have done a lot of marriage counseling, but they are still together. Decent. Phoebe and Mike have two biological kids and seven foster kids. Oh, funny. I like it. Okay. Yeah, I do too. Chandler is still in a job that he hates and is still sneaking cigarettes. <laughs> okay. Sounds about right. And then she agreed with what Joey said, which was Joey opens a sandwich shop and has four daughters. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I like it. I felt like even if Lisa didn't give it, gave it more of just a thought in the last second. I liked how Lisa Kudrow said she thought she would be, they'd be living in, I think she said Connecticut and have a few kids and she would be the advocate for, you know, all the kids that were a little different and she'd be the one making sure the music program and the, you know, the arts programs were, were, um, were a go at the, in their districts. And I just thought, you know, that, that's, that was really the perfect answer from her. Yeah, I agree. Um, You know, I will say, here's a hot take. I thought bringing in Lady Gaga to sing Smelly Cat was a shady, shady moment. And I did not mm-hmm. like it. I will, I will admit that was my least favorite part. I thought it was awkward. I like Lady Gaga, but it, there was no point for it. And it, I don't care how good Lady Gaga is. No one's going to sing Smelly Cat like Phoebe. And it was, it's, the whole thing was awkward. I felt like even Lisa Kudrow thought it was awkward. Well, and the uh, reason I think she thought it was awkward is because like the whole thing is that Phoebe's singing is everyone knows it's not good, but Phoebe doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And so then you make her sing this song for the very first time in nearly two decades. And she has to try to harmonize with Lady Gaga. Why, why are you trying to make this song sound good? It was never supposed to sound good. They reminded me though, of that episode where the, I don't remember her name, but they had the other artist that came in and played that was also blonde that sang Smelly Cat, Smelly Cat was not maybe she actually was the original, I don't know, but she, she came in and sang Smelly Cat and sang it more like how Lady Gaga sang it, and I was like, is that what they're trying to recreate here? Oh, um, think of that. Maybe, but it just, I, I didn't get the point of why they would do that. I liked letting Lisa Kudrow sit down with the guitar and play for us and sing it, but yeah, they, I think they kind of ruined that moment by having somebody else come in, regardless of who it would have been. 
You know what else I think is worth talking about is, and I just, I Googled friends reunion and the first thing that came up was like, friends creators respond to lack of diversity in the reunion. And, you know, the show has been criticized, especially like over the years, because there are a lot of jokes that, you know, probably don't have a place today. So then I clicked on the article and, and Marta Kaufman again had, um, had a beautiful answer where she was like, but look at all the things that the show did that TV shows didn't do at the time. And she named a couple, but I wonder if there's any more that you can remember having a lesbian wedding on TV. Yeah. That was not done at the time. Right. Um, the concept of a surrogate. Yep. Yeah. The whole, the yeah. Mm-hmm. And IVF, not mm-hmm. done at the time. And technically adoption. Yeah. Again, something that wasn't talked about a ton at the time. While there may have been areas to improve, if you're looking at the show with the benefit of hindsight, what about all the things that the show did that nobody was doing? I, I, there's always going to be you know, people that are going to critique it, right? There are always going to be some criticism not everybody's going to be happy, right? That's just how the society is, as you know. So, yeah, I am going to wrap this up and I'm going to ask you one last question. I'm going to do a tiny bit on the spot with this. So I hope you don't mind. You know, the, the one thing that they said at the beginning of the recap was that the whole concept of the show is about that time in your life when your friends were your family. Mm -hmm. Can you remember that time? What was that time for you? Oh, I think that was definitely college. And I I think I relate to it so much because this show was, I mean, it ended while I was in college. And then, like I said, the the DVDs I had, you know, through college, you are just with, if you go away to college, which I did, uh, I was three and a half hours away from home. That that is your family. You know, I didn't come home in the summers every year and that, that became my family. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. It's cool to look back on that time. And when you put it like, it's, it's so simple, but yeah, mm-hmm. everyone goes through that time when, when it's just you and your friends, like yeah. against the world. And you guys are trying to figure that time period out. And it's just like, it doesn't last forever. And, and you don't want it to necessarily sure. mm-hmm. want to like move on out of that. But like, it brings back such good memories for me, I would say. So it's like that for me, but also I would say it was the period of time that I lived in Wichita. It was my second TV job. And yeah, and it was just me living in this terrible apartment that I cried in the first time I walked into it. And like everyone that I worked with at that TV station, like we were so, so close and you could never, we would never have that same chemistry again because Mm -hmm. we're all moved on now. You know what I mean? Like it's, Mm -hmm. you could never put us back in those places, but I think it was that three year period of time that that would have been like 24 to 20, maybe 23 to 26. Yeah. Yeah, that was it for me. I can I can relate to that too. Actually, um, I moved out. I moved to Chicago after college and lived in Chicago for a handful of years before getting married. And um, same kind of thing, but not not quite. I, you know, I look back at friends and I kind and what Marta Kaufman said about um, them being friends and living in the city. And I kind of wish I had a little bit more of that lifestyle in the big city that they had. But yeah, I, 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 college, you know, college, the last couple of years of college into the first couple of years of, you know, adulthood. Oh yeah. Oh, such a beautiful time. I used to long for that time. And now I'd like, now I don't anymore. Now I sort of yeah. like, 
I'm sort of like, I'm, I'm glad that happened. And, but yes. I, just, I just think things are different now, you know? I'm very content in the mommyhood. Yeah. Well, good. Big plans yeah. for your family this summer. Well, we just got back from Florida. Wonderful. Uh, we were for a family wedding. So we were in Florida for about three days in the Tampa area. So one of my daughter's first trip to the beach and the other one was, you know, three didn't remember it real well. So it was, we had a blast. There was like 20, some of us from our family there. And oh, wow. It was pretty amazing trip, all of us together. So other than that, we don't have anything big this summer, but yet still, I feel like we're busy, which is like welcome change from a year ago. Right. I completely agree. Well said. (laughs) Anything else you want to say before I let you go? Thank you. It's good to talk to you. Good to see you again. That's a wrap on this episode of On a Mother Level. You guys, I haven't decided what I'm going to do about The Bachelorette that's happening. First week of Katie's season premiered this week, and I'm just not sure. I'm undecided. So if you have any um, direct feelings about whether I should be recapping, um, either on the podcast or otherwise, let me know what you think. Because if I don't hear from any of you, I'm going to assume that you don't care. And then that would save me hours of my week. So. You know, we'll just have to see. Hey, starting next week, we are going to start our um, Dads Month here on On a Mother Level. So I've been interviewing some dads, and we are going to hear from them in honor of Father's Day. So that starts next week here on On a Mother Level. I appreciate you listening. It means everything to me to hear your feedback. And uh, let's keep it rolling here. So find us on Instagram at On a Mother Level. Would love to connect with you over there because when it comes to parenthood, we can relate. You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.